would have long passages and other days very short. And so morning devotion, some days would be long and some would be short. And I told you I thought about, you know, just kind of moving the verses all together so that we have equal number every day. But that defeats the purpose. I want you to see from the scriptures what happens each day. Now remember, every night he went out and stayed in Bethany, and every morning early he came back and spent the day teaching and healing the sick in the temple courts. John chapter 12, beginning with verse 20, the story picks up today. Now among those who went up to worship at the feast, there were some Greeks. Now these Greeks, these are Greek Jews. Sometimes we call them the Hellenistic Jews. This would have been one of Paul's type of people. They went to the Hellenistic synagogue. So these were, these were Jews that had probably been raised in the other parts of the Roman Empire. They spoke Greek. They, they lived with the Greek culture, but they were Jews by religion. So these, these Greek Jews, came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida. Now, Bethsaida is a little village on the northern tip of the Sea of Galilee. There's two places they think were Bethsaida. They're not sure which one was actually it. Probably the one that's a little more inland now because the, the Sea of Galilee was deeper in Jesus' day than it is now. And there would have been some rivers coming in there from the north and kind of a little inlet and a harbor area. So it's probably the one that's about six kilometers inland from what is now the Sea of Galilee. I've been there. I've made videos for you from there. From Bethsaida in the Galilee. And he asked, sir, we wish to see Jesus. Wow, what a heart. What a heart. Now, why is the question? Remember, these are Greek Jews who came in for the feast. So they had traveled. They had not been in Israel over the last three and a half years of Jesus's ministry. They had not seen him. They had not heard him. They'd heard about him. So now they wanted to see him. I like that. They heard about. Now they want to see. Philip went and told Andrew. And Andrew went and told Jesus. Now again, we ask the question, why? Why didn't Philip go directly to Jesus? Why did Philip go to Andrew and then Andrew go to Jesus? We have no answer. But that's one of those ways that you learn as you start to ask questions. And Jesus answered them. The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Now, his answer for the Greeks wanting to see. His answer. The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I tell you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Here is a secret of bearing fruit. Now, brothers and sisters, one of the things you have to learn is if your life is going to bear fruit, you have to die. Not physically die like Jesus died, but die to yourself. Selfishness will always stop fruit bearing. Selfishness must be eliminated. You have to learn to sacrifice. I try to teach young pastors, until you're ready to sacrifice, you're never going to be able to grow a church. And I'm sorry, that's just, that's just the truth of life. Until a young pastor is willing to sacrifice, 
you can never bear fruit. Until an old pastor is ready to sacrifice, you can never bear fruit. The path to bearing fruit is sacrifice, not selfishness. So if I take two young pastors side by side, and one of them is a pastor of sacrifice, and the other is a pastor of, oh, I want my life, I want my time off, I want to relax, I want to play my video games. And then I have another pastor who just, I want to give my life for these people. Which church do you think will grow? Uh-huh. Now, the same is true in every aspect of ministry, whether it's choir, whether it's being a connect group leader. Sacrifice is necessary to bear fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it. Whoever hates his life in this world, in this world, will keep it for eternal life. Now, there's a great truth. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. All right, this is a requirement for service. Now, you saw a requirement to bear fruit. Now you see a requirement for service. Must follow me. And where I am, there will also my servant be. All right, so you, you can't say that you're serving Jesus and not be with Jesus. A requirement of service is to be with Jesus. Anyone, If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him, the promise. Honor from the Father. <laughs> now is my soul troubled. Wow. This is a wow. First time we ever heard Jesus say his soul was troubled. Jesus was full of joy. First time. Jesus was full of joy by the Holy Ghost. Now his soul is troubled. Why? He knows suffering and death approaches. Now, folks, you have to remember, he's fully God, but he's also fully man. He knows this is going to hurt. But you see, one of the things you have to learn in life is the pain. You're going to have to learn no pain, no gain. You hear young people say it all the time. Jesus understood there was going to be pain ahead. So it's going to trouble his soul. What shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. <laughs> but for this purpose, I have come. So some prayers, some prayers cannot be prayed. You may think them, but you can't pray them because you know this is the purpose. This is my purpose. This pain that I have to go through, this is this is the price of my purpose. All right, the pain is the price of purpose. Father, glorify your name. And this prayer. This is the prayer. When you know that there's a price to be paid and you know what the will of God is, you say, Lord, glorify your name. <laughs> then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it and I will glorify it again. A voice came from heaven. The crowd that stood there heard it, said it had thundered, Others said an angel had spoken. So this is 
in the temple courts. So do you understand how much supernatural activity is taking place in these four days? Miracles of healing are taking place. And now a voice from heaven is heard in the temple courts. I mean, can you imagine the talk in Jerusalem? Jesus answered, this voice has come for your sake, not mine. <laughs> so this theophany was for the people to believe. Now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. That's Satan. Jesus' death defeated Satan. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. Jesus is the draw. Now, I try to teach this to people. You see, you don't have a stage in church. You have an altar in church. We don't have a stage with performers. And the draw is a person with a certain amount of charisma. That's how you build something else. But that's not how the church grows. Jesus is the draw. People should be coming to Jesus. Now, now beloved, this, this is why we can't have celebrity pastors. This is why we can't have celebrities in church. And, you know, all right, the celebrities are drawing the people. Please forgive me. Nothing wrong with celebrities, but if they want to come to church, they sit just like everybody else, just like everybody else, they're saved by grace. But celebrities can never be used as the draw. Jesus is the draw. Ah, you know, I, I sometimes wonder, you know, when you look at the Apostle Paul and you see how this man changed the world, yet everybody says he was short, bald. I mean, th this is the actual description in Roman history books. He's short, he's bald, he's ugly, he has a big nose, and he's bow-legged from the beatings he had received. It was one of the effects of the beatings that he had continually received. So Paul was never the draw. He was not Mr. Charisma. He was never one of the super apostles. He said, you know, I may not be a tremendous speaker, he said, but you know, I have knowledge. And it's knowledge is it's the knowledge of the word that's going to change people's lives, not not my ability of presenting it. The, the power is in the message, not in the messenger. Now, now, please get a hold of this. Jesus said, when I, when I, when I'm lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. Jesus doesn't draw people to us. He draws people to himself. Jesus is the draw, and Jesus is the focus of the draw. He said this to show by what kind of death he was going to die. So he told everybody, I'm going to die on a cross. So the crowd answered him, we have heard from the law that the Christ remains forever. How can you say that the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is this Son of Man? All right, so now they debate the death of the Christ. Now remember, they had no revelation 
of Isaiah. They had no revelation of Isaiah 53, the suffering servant. No revelation of it at all. Their understanding of Messiah was a conquering king. See, sometimes what you have been taught gets in the way of truth. Verse 35. Jesus said to them, The light is among you for a little while longer. Jesus said the light. Jesus is the light. Walk while you have the light, lest the darkness overtake you. The one who walks in darkness does not know where he's going. Wow. No direction. And more than that, no comprehension. See, when when a, a person is walking in darkness, it's like they have no comprehension that they're about to fall off a cliff. Now, I've watched Christians start walking in darkness. I've watched them make decisions to walk in darkness. And you want to, you, you just you, you just want to shake them because they don't understand. They're walking into destruction. They're walking into pain. They're walking off the proverbial cliff. But they have no idea where they're going. They have no direction and no comprehension. While you have the light, believe in the light that you may become the sons of the light. All right, so when you believe in Jesus, you become sons of light. So even when you walk in the darkness, there's light. Ah. When Jesus said these things, he departed and hid himself from them. Wow. Now that's one of those big ones I have question marks about. Why did he hide himself? And you know what? Remember, he's never yet seen the Greeks. Why? I have no answers. But the way you learn is to ask questions. John 12, verses 36 to 50. While you have the light, believe in the light, that you may be the sons of light. Then Jesus hid himself. We've read this, departed. Verse 37. Though he had done so many signs before them, they still did not believe in him. Now, this is miracles in the temple courts. They still did not believe in him. They saw the blind eyes open. They saw the deaf hear. They saw the crippled walk. But they still did not believe in him. They had the voice come out of heaven, but still they did not believe in him. So that the word spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. Lord, who has believed what he heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Therefore they could not believe. For again, Isaiah said, He has blinded their eyes and hardened their heart, lest they see with their eyes, understand with their heart, and turn, and I will heal them. Isaiah said these things because he saw his glory and spoke of him. He saw his glory. He saw Messiah's glory. He saw the glory of Messiah, and he spoke of him. See, Isaiah had a revelation of the suffering servant. This is why Isaiah is is this incredible prophecy about all these truths of the Messiah. 
Isaiah had a great revelation of Jesus. This is one of the reasons Sister Bev loved teaching the Isaiah course so much, because Isaiah had this incredible revelation of Jesus. Nevertheless, many even of the authorities, many even of the authorities believed in him. But for fear of the Pharisees, they did not confess it, so that they would not be put out of the synagogue. All right, so fear of rejection. Fear of rejection hindered spiritual truth or spiritual growth. There are many Christians today. They believe in Jesus, but because they're afraid of, of a family member who doesn't believe in Jesus, they never progress so that they would not be put out of the synagogue. For they loved the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. All right, now this, this is the truth of these people. They're more concerned about receiving glory from man than glory from God. And Jesus cried out and said, Whoever believes in me, now notice, you have to tie this together. They believed in him. Tie it together here. Whoever believes in me believes not in me, but in him who sent me. He said, now listen, guys. You know, th this isn't about just believing in me. You know, you're, you're believing in me, but you refuse to confess it because you're more concerned about what other people think and you want them to bring you glory. But he said, whoever believes in me believes not in me, but him who sent me. And whoever sees me sees him. You see the Father. I have come into the world as light, so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. This, this is the fruit of Jesus in our lives. We don't remain in darkness. <laughs> if anyone hears my word and does them and does not keep them, I do not judge him, for I did not come into the world to judge the world, but to save the world. Now, again, remember, he's addressing these people up here. He said, if anyone hears my word and does not keep them, he said, I don't judge them. I didn't come to the world to judge the world, but to save the world. Right, here's another verse on the purpose of Jesus. The one who rejects me and does not receive my words has a judge. The word that I have spoken will judge him on the last day. All right, so we will be evaluated based on Jesus' words, whether we believe them or not. So this is the basis of final judgment. The basis of final judgment. For I have not spoken on my own authority. But the Father who sent me has given me a commandment, what to say and what to speak. All right, Jesus' words came from the Father. And I know that his commandment is eternal life. What I say, therefore, I say, as the Father has told me. All right, all of this is happening in the temple courts. 
Now the scene changes. Now we're going back to the fig tree. They've left the temple courts and they've gone back outside someplace on the way back to Bethany and they see the fig tree. Matthew 21, beginning with verse 20. When the disciples saw it, they marveled, saying, How did the fig tree wither at once? And Jesus answered them, Truly, I say to you, that if you have faith and do not doubt, if you have faith and do not doubt, you will not only do what has been done to the fig tree, but even if you say to this mountain, Be taken up and thrown into the sea, it will happen. Whatever you ask in prayer, you will receive if you have faith. Mark. And as they passed by in the morning, they saw the fig tree withered away to its root. And Peter remembered and said to him, Rabbi, look, the fig tree that you cursed has withered. And Jesus answered them, Have faith in God. Truly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, Be taken up and thrown into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says, all right, so you have to have faith and confession. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Believe that he, what he says will come to pass. It will be done for them. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, ask in prayer. You don't command in prayer. You ask in prayer. And notice this is not command. I, I know people like to walk around and say, I, I command God and, you know, we are, we are to command God and, you know, and, and maybe there's a little truth there, but forgive me, in my heart, I've never been able to do that. For me, it's an ask in prayer. For me, I, I'm coming to my Heavenly Father and I'm asking. I'm there as a humble servant, as a humble son, asking. Whatever you ask in prayer, believe you have received it, and it will be yours. And whenever you stand praying, forgive. If you have anything against anyone. All right. Wow. Anything against anyone. So that your Father who is in heaven may forgive you your trespasses. In other words, don't hang on to your anger and your bitterness, folks. It just ruins you. Luke. 21, beginning with verse 29. And he told them a parable. Look at the fig tree and all the trees. As soon as they come out in leaf, you yourself, you see for yourselves and know that summer is already near. So also when you see these things taking place, you know that the kingdom of God is near. All right, so there are signs of the times. Maybe not details, but more like symptoms. Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all this has taken place. Now, generation here refers to the race of Jews. It's not referring to one single generation like we think of a generation, but the Greek word here actually refers to the race of the Jews. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. Jesus's words are eternal. Now, remember earlier, we said he only spoke as the Father had told him to speak. His words are eternal. Heaven will pass away. Earth will pass away. But the words of Jesus, they're eternal. But watch yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with dissipation 
drunkenness, and the cares of life. And that day will come upon you suddenly like a trap. All right, so there are three, three watch outs. And you need to make a list in your Bible of the watch outs or the bewares. Those are, this is a list that you need to keep. You don't let your hearts be weighed down with dissipation, drunkenness, or the cares of this world. Now notice, hearts weighed down. You know, your, your whole insides can be just weighed down. You know, forgive me, but some of you right now with this COVID-19 thing, do you ever feel like there's an elephant sitting on your chest? And I'm not talking about it's just hard to breathe. I'm talking about your whole insides are just weighed down. You, you, there's no joy. You, you have to understand, brothers and sisters, dissipation, drunkenness, and the cares of life weighs you down. And notice, drunkenness is one of them. Drunkenness, alcohol, is a depressant. Now, you know, I know everybody, it's popular for Christians to go drinking today, but you know what? That's what I did before I got saved. And, you know, forgive me, but straight up talk, anybody who says you need alcohol to have a good time, alcohol is a depressant. Ask any doctor that tell you it's a depressant. Well, why does it make me feel good? Because it's a poison. And as soon as you take that poison into your body, your body reacts to that poison by releasing endorphins. It is your body's natural protection against a poison in your body. Now, now, alcohol weighs you down. Verse 35, for it will come upon all who dwell on the face of the earth. But stay awake at all times. Spiritual awake. Stay spiritually awake at all times. In the middle of COVID-19. Stay spiritually awake, praying that you may have strength to escape all these things that are going to take place and to stand before the Son of Man. This would be the final, final judgment. Now, brothers and sisters, stay awake at all times, praying that you may have strength to escape all these things. Beloved, right now in the middle of COVID-19, this is not a time to be spiritually sleepy. This, this is not a time to spend your life watching, you know, telenovelas and playing Dota and playing all your video games and, you know, going days and days without even looking at your Bible. Oh, where did I leave my Bible? Someplace around here. These are days to stay spiritually awake. These are days to pray that God will give you strength. And here's a big thought. And every day he was teaching in the temple, but at night he went out and was lodged at Mount Olivet. And early in the morning, all the people came to the temple to hear him. Now, here is the pattern of Holy Week. Jesus hung out in the Father's house. I mean, that was, that was the pattern of the first Holy Week. Jesus was in church every day. <laughs> and at night, 
he went out to Bethany. Now, why did he go out to that small village every night? It's called being safe because people wanted to kill him and it wasn't yet the time. And early in the morning, all the people came to the temple to hear him. Now notice the phrase, all. There's over 100,000 people in Jerusalem during the feast in Jesus' day. And you go, how could 100,000 people fit into those temple courts? Well, you've seen how big it is. That thing is monstrous up there. Now, they weren't inside the temple proper, but they were in the temple courts. So the whole city came up early in the morning. So <laughs> Jesus was an early riser. They knew when to expect him. They knew when to expect Jesus early in the morning. <laughs> All right. Now we move into another set of truth. Matthew 21, beginning with verse 23. And when he entered the temple, the chief priests and the elders of the people came up to him as he was teaching. All right, so this is the chief priests. You're dealing with the family of Annas. This would be Caiaphas and his brothers and brother-in-laws. And the elders of the people, this would be the Sanhedrin, came up to him as he was teaching and said, By what authority are you doing these things? And who gave you this authority? All right, so they asked two questions. Number one, by what authority? And the source of authority. Two questions. By what authority and the source of the authority? Now, what are the things? These are the miracles. Because, forgive me, all they can do is criticize. They're not praying for anybody who's blind. They're not praying for anybody who's deaf. They're not praying for any cripples. They're not casting out any demons. They're just sitting around criticizing so they're very upset by all this supernatural activity in the temple courts. Jesus answered them, I also will ask you one question. He said, you asked me two, two questions. He said, I'm just going to ask you one. And if you tell me the answer, then I will tell you by what authority I do these things. The baptism of John, from where did it come? From heaven or from men? And they discussed it among themselves, saying, If we say from heaven, he will say to us, Then why did you not believe him? But if we say from man, we are afraid of the crowd, for they all hold John was a prophet. So they answered Jesus, We do not know. And he said, Neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. Now, there's a reason for this. These people gave a political answer. Now, a political answer is not truth. They weren't answering truthfully. They just gave a political answer. Why would Jesus not answer their question? Because if he said the Father, they would want him dead right now. This thing had to have the right 
timing. You see, you have to learn to do the right thing at the right time in the right way. This was not the time. And if Jesus had said, I do this by the Father, these men would have whipped up the crowd and Jesus would have died on that day. But it was not the right time. Mark 11, verse 27 to 33. And they came again to Jerusalem, and as he was walking in the temple, the chief priests and the scribes and the elders came to him. And they said to him, By what authority are you doing these things, or who gave you the authority to do them? And Jesus said to them, I, I will ask you just one question. Answer me, and I will tell you by what authority I do these things. Was the baptism of John from heaven or from man? Answer me. And they discussed it with one another, saying, If we say from heaven, he will say, Why did you not believe him? But if we say from man, they were afraid of the people, for they all held that John was really a prophet. So they answered Jesus, We do not know. Now remember, that is a lie. They did know. And Jesus answered, Neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. Exact same passage, no new truth coming out of it from Luke chapter 20. Verses 1 to 8. This is a pretty common passage. Now we begin to have the parable of the two sons. And we're still on Tuesday, folks. This is, this is all still Tuesday. Matthew 21, beginning with verse 28. What do you think? A man had two sons. He went to the first and said, Son, go and work today in the vineyard. And he answered, I will not. But afterward, he changed his mind and went. And he went to the other son and said the same. And he answered, I go, sir. But he did not go. Which of these two did the will of the father? They said the first. Jesus said, truly, I say to you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes go into the kingdom of God before you. For John came to you in the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him. But the tax collectors and the prostitutes believed him. And even when you saw it, you did not change afterwards your minds and believe him. Even when you saw it, you did not change your minds and believe in him. So there is a possibility of change of mind. And he said, you know, even after you had some time to see the fruit of John's ministry, even after you saw the fruit of his ministry, you didn't change your mind. All right, now we change gears again, and we're still on Tuesday. Incredible amounts of teaching taking place in a variety of, of situations there, because remember, we're dealing with an, an early morning and a late day. Matthew 21, beginning with verse 33. Here another parable. There was a master of a house who planted a vineyard and put a fence around it and dug a wine press in it and built a tower and leased it to tenants. And he went into another country. All right, now notice. This is a fully integrated business. Everything necessary. You've got the vineyard. You've got the protection. You've got a wine press to, to process the fruit. And you've built a tower to protect it. And he leased it to tenants and went into another country. When the season for the fruit drew near, he sent his servants to the tenants to get his fruit. 
And the tenants took his servants and beat one, killed another, and stoned another. He sent other servants more than the first, and they did the same to them. Finally, he sent his son to them, saying, They will respect my son. But when the tenants saw the son, they said to themselves, Come, this is the heir. Let us kill him and have his inheritance. And they took him and threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. When, therefore, the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those tenants? And they said to him, He will put out those wretches to a miserable death and let out of the vineyard and let out the vineyard to other tenants who will give him the fruit in their seasons. Jesus said to them, Have you never read in scriptures, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone? This was the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Therefore, I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to people producing its fruits. Wow. This will be the Gentiles. And the one who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces, and when it falls on anyone, it will crush him. When the chief priests heard and Pharisees heard his parables, they perceived he was speaking about them. And although they were seeking to arrest him, they feared the crowds because they held him to be a prophet. Now, brothers and sisters, this is an incredible passage. And and here in, in Mark and in Luke, it's pretty much identical word for the word. So I won't read those passages for the sake of time. But let me just share this with you. Jesus deals with a common problem of inheritance. He said, you know, in his day, people would build businesses, and then people who he hired to do things, or he let have an opportunity to make their living participating with his assets, all of a sudden they think that they own it when they never built it, but they think they own it. And they want to destroy the heirs. Now, now the same thing is true in the world today. You know, many years ago I learned from Dr. Cho, and people always ask me, Pastor Summer, who's going to take over the church after you? I said, I have no idea. It's not my choice. It's Jesus' choice. And I learned many years ago from Dr. Cho, even people that you think, well, maybe God will use them, you don't ever talk about. Because there's always this group of people who think that everything that they never built belongs to them. Ah, and they want to destroy whoever God wants to take over. Just like these guys. They think that all of this Judaism was theirs, and it wasn't. The people of Israel belonged to God, and the whole concept of how to worship him belonged to him. But they thought, we will destroy the air. We will kill the only begotten Son of God so that we can be in control. And you know what? It doesn't work like that. Now, we continue. All of this is happening on Tuesday. Matthew 22, beginning with verse 1. And again, Jesus spoke to them in parables. Now, you see, when you start understanding that this all took place in the temple court area, this all took place during a huge revival of teaching and miracles during that first Holy Week, all of a sudden, these parables and things make more sense because you understand when they were said and where they were taught. Matthew 22, beginning with verse 1. Again, Jesus spoke to them in parables 
the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast to his son and sent his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding feast, but they would not come. They would not come. And again, he sent other servants who were invited. See, I have prepared my dinner. My oxen and my fat calves have been slaughtered and everything is ready. Come to my wedding feast. But they paid no attention and went off, one to his farm and another to his business, while the rest seized his servants and treated them shamefully and killed them. The king was angry. He sent his troops and destroyed the murderers and burned the city. Then he said to his servants, The wedding feast is ready, but those who were invited were not worthy. Wow. He said, you know, this was their problem. He said, it's not a problem with the king, and it's not a problem with the feast I prepared. This is their problem. They weren't worthy. Go, therefore, into the main roads and invite to the wedding feast as many as you find. And those servants went out into the roads and gathered all whom they found, both good and bad, so that the wedding hall would be filled with guests. But when the king came in to look at the guests, he saw that there was a man who had no wedding garment. And he said to him, friend, how did you get in here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless. Then the king said to his attendants, bind him hand and foot and cast him into outer darkness in that place where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are called, but few are chosen. You see, folks, you need to have on the garments. Well, what are the garments? We are clothed. This is so much teaching. And I'm just going to throw one thought at you. And there's so much I could teach on this. We must be clothed with Christ. Remember, salvation is being baptized into Christ. All right? we come When we are saved, we go in Christ. All of Paul's wonderful teaching about being in Christ, that happens, that salvation. So it doesn't matter how bad we are, we have on the wedding clothes. We are in Christ. Many are called, but few are chosen. Now, we change gears again. And now we have this confrontation of the Pharisees and the Herodians. Now remember, all this is still on the same day. So remember, all these different confrontations happen to Jesus on the same day. Now let's see, which one is the longest? We'll do Matthew. Matthew is the longest here. Then the Pharisees went and plotted how to entangle him in his words. Ah, so you have to be plotted. You have to be careful. People want to entangle you with your own words. They sent their disciples to him. Their disciples. Along with the Herodians, saying, Teacher, we know that you are true and that you teach the way of God truthfully and you do not care about anyone's opinions for you are not swayed by appearances. Sip, sip. Beware of compliments. Okay. When people walk up and start telling you how wonderful you are and how much integrity you have, when people walk up and talk to you like that, beware, they're about to trap you. Tell us. What do you think? Now notice, what do you think? Not not truth. They want to say, what is your truth, Jesus? 
See, everybody wants to talk about my truth. I want to speak my truth. There's no such thing as your truth or my truth. There's truth. Tell us what you think. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Now, remember, they are in a Roman occupation. They have been conquered by Rome, and they are in the middle of a Roman occupation. And remember, the Herodians are a religious political party. They are the collaborators. But Jesus, aware of their malice. Now, brothers and sisters, one of the things you have to learn about Jesus, Jesus answered attitudes, not questions. So sometimes when you see Jesus answer someone and you go, why did he talk like that? Because he's answering their attitudes. Aware of their malice. Wow. He said, why do you put me to the test? You hypocrites. Show me the coin for a tax. And they brought him a denarius. Now, as you look at a denarius, you see that it has a figure of a human being on it. A Jew would never bring that for the temple tax. Okay? A Jew would never... The Jewish money and the Roman money was very, very different. And to this day, if you come with us to, to Israel, you will find that there are no statues in Jerusalem with human faces. You will find that none of their coins or their bills have human faces on them. In the old city of David, when we would go over to um, uh, the tomb of King David and we go over to the upper room, we would pass by a, a statue of David that was outside of a Christian church. And every year you'd go there, you'd see that somebody had destroyed it again. I mean, they, they could never keep that statue of King David looking nice. Somebody would throw black paint on it. They'd smash his nose off, something. Because of the Jews, any human statue or even an animal statue, it is an abomination. It's an idol. Jesus said to them, whose likeness and whose inscription is this? They said, Caesar's. He said, huh. Give to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. In other words, use the proper temple coins for God. Caesar's money, it's got his figure on it. We, we don't worship idols. G give it back to him. And they all heard it, they marveled, and they left him and went away. Now, add a little bit to it from Luke. And they were not able in the presence of the people to catch him in what he said. Now notice, they did not want to do this privately. They wanted to do this in a public way. You see, when people want to trap you in their words, they don't come to ask you a question in private. They want to do it in the presence of people. Now, th this is one of the things that you, you learn in life, and, and Jesus has given you great wisdom here. There are times people are really going to be after you, and all they want to do is trap you. And what they're going to do is trap you publicly. So when, when people start asking you hard questions in public, learn to be more cautious in your answers. You know, I'm only about halfway through Tuesday.
So I'll tell you what, since I've only got about five minutes to teach on Wednesday, how about if we add some more of this to tomorrow? All right. So we'll, we'll stop here for today and we'll pick this up again tomorrow. So on Wednesday, we'll finish Tuesday because Tuesday kind of sets up Wednesday and we'll do Wednesday. We'll see you tonight in School of the Cross, seven o'clock sharp.